0: We do expect to see positive job creation uh, near the end of this year, early
1: next year, um, but it's going to take a while, given the pace of growth, for the unemployment rate to come back down to levels that we, you know, we would be
0: more comfortable with.
1: Hello, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg in New York, and I'm Adam Davidson, also in New York. In fact, right across the table from me very room.
0: Today is Wednesday, July 22nd. That was Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, you heard at the top. Today on Planet Money, we take a look at an economic theory that informed the decisions and behaviors of so many countless people in business and government for decades.
1: It is an economic theory so foundational that many people took it less as a theory than as gospel truth. Until the financial crisis got a lot of people
0: questioning it. We're talking, of course... About the efficient markets theory. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, Alex, I believe you have the planet money indicator. I do. It is a ratio two to one. That is the ratio of people moving out of the state of Michigan to those moving into the state of Michigan, at least according to stats compiled by one company, Allied Van Lines, covering the first six months of this year.
1: Right. So two people are moving out of Michigan for every one person moving in. We learned about this from the Lansner on Real Estate blog, which is part of the Orange County Register News organization. Um, I just picture this long line of uh, laid-off auto workers loading boxes into vans and moving south or west or wherever.
0: That's happening in other states as well: North Dakota, Illinois, Indiana. They all have high exodus rates.
1: Even. Even California has more people leaving the state than coming into the state. Only a little more, but still, California. That's the state where dreams are made, the eighth largest economy in the world. It's also a total financial basket case. Right. So where are these people moving to? Well, Washington, D.C. is a big destination, also up there, Oregon and Nevada. Alex, you were just in Oregon on your vacation. Would you
0: move to Oregon?
1: In a heartbeat. It's beautiful. Well, I sort of like it here, actually. Yeah,
0: New York's pretty beautiful, too, in its own way.
1: (laughs) In a very different way, but still. So, Adam, today we're talking to Justin Fox. He is the author of a new book called The Myth of the Rational Market. Now, this is a fairly provocative title. Right, because it's asserting that
0: the theory that has been taught forever in economics classes and business schools, the theory that markets are rational is... A myth. I mean, that's what he says in the title, The Myth of the Rational Market.
1: Right. And so before we get to our talk with him, let's just go over what this theory is. Most broadly, it's associated with the Rational School of Economics, which is headquartered at the University of Chicago. My alma mater, um, although I did not study economics
0: there. My main teacher was a communist, but never mind, that's a separate (laughs) discussion. But look, anybody who has spent any time looking at, you know, the stock market or any other financial market, they have to think that there is a
1: decent chance that the whole thing is absolutely crazy. Right. Prices hurdle up and down, uh, changing by huge numbers in a few hours seemingly on a whim. But the rational school of economics says, no, that's not right. It's not crazy. Maybe
0: some people are you know, trading in some raw, random, emotional way. But overall, financial markets always and forever reflect the best knowledge that exists in all the world. If some number of investors are irrationally pessimistic, then there's some other group of investors who are irrationally optimistic.
1: And so they basically cancel each other out. The actual market price with that all the those people making their crazy decisions, what it eventually arrives at is a logical price, rational. It changes rapidly because information about the world changes rapidly. At least that is the theory that a lot of people have had for a long time. Right. Now, this theory has many parts to it, many ramifications. One offshoot, called the efficient markets hypothesis, has specific consequences for anyone with any money in the stock market. Investors, like me with my sadly modest retirement account... Which brings us to our conversation with Justin Fox, who wrote The Myth of the Rational Market. He says that this efficient market hypothesis came into the popular consciousness in the late 70s. A guy named Jack Bogle popularized it. And this, and this hypothesis, says Justin Fox, meant something very specific to the average investor, to someone like me.
2: From the investing perspective, that meant you can't, beat the market by because of something you read in the Wall Street Journal this morning or because you've been studying your stock charts and in the past a head and shoulders led to whatever happening next.
0: I feel like the rational school has been such a beautiful, comforting lifeline, comfort blanket, teddy bear, I don't know what to call it. It has been so good to my mental health and well-being that I really, really, really do not want anyone including you, Justin Fox, to convince me it isn't at least true enough to comfort me. <laughs> and, and so wait, why <laughs> has it been so comforting to you? So, so basically- It's like a blankie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a wonderful blankie. So here, here's the thing. You know, I've been a business reporter for a long time. I'm as befuddled as anyone by what stocks to buy, what investments to make. And people ask me, oh, what should I invest in? I have absolutely no idea. I don't even know- you know, I don't even know how you would do it. I know a hundred different ways you could do it. Okay. I just don't know which one I would recommend. And I find it all overwhelming. It makes me nervous. It makes my heart pound. It makes me feel guilty and scared. And, and then I was given the gift of the efficient market hypothesis, which tells me that there is nothing I could do that would make a difference, that I do not have the tools, the time the knowledge or the wealth to beat the market. I'm just gonna, best case scenario, make what the market makes. And the most sophisticated, the most like Nobel Prize endorsed investment strategy happens to be the easiest and the laziest, which is I find a few low-cost index funds. I give all my money to them, all my retirement income to them. But that's it. I don't have to ever, ever, ever read an earnings report or go to Yahoo Finance or read the journal for anything other than journalistic reasons.
2: But you can still do that without believing that the market is perfectly efficient. And that's... Jack Bogle, who's one of my favorite characters. He is in my, the guy. He is book.
0: the comfy blankie of all comfy but, blankies. But what
2: Jack likes to say is that you know you don't have to believe in the efficient market hypothesis. You just have to believe in the cost matters hypothesis. And, and the best way to think of that is you know the average investor is gonna do as well as the market, just on average. That just by definition, the average investor gets the same return as the market, minus any costs trading costs, what you pay your mutual fund manager or your favorite hedge fund manager or whatever. So, so the
1: time that you spend pouring through right. You know, the you know, pink sheet stocks and whatever.
2: So if you don't have a really great reason to believe you're either above average or as an investor yourself or you know how to pick people who are well above average, and I would say that describes 95, 98, 99% of us, then... The one thing you should just focus on is keeping the cost down as low as possible, because then you're 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 increasing your chance of being at least average because most investors end up being below average because the average investor earns the market minus costs and then everybody's got all these costs.
0: Well, that's a relief at least, right? Yeah, my best investment strategy is to keep being lazy. (laughs) Excellent. But the efficient market hypothesis has much, much
1: farther reaching effects than just personal investing. Right. One of the greatest outgrowths of the rational school and the efficient markets hypothesis has to do with people's attitudes about prices. If you believe, as efficient markets hypothesis teaches, that at any given point, the price of something is the reflection of all known information about that something – then a price can't be wrong. It may seem insane, for example, that a bottle filled with fermented grape juice could be worth tens of thousands of dollars. But the price is rational because that's the price that people will pay for. That's the price that the market will bear. And this way of thinking that that
0: markets know what they're doing, that markets have a rational price, has pervaded both government and finance for most of the last three decades. If you go before, say, 1980, Jimmy Carter, but it's the same for Republicans like Richard Nixon, basically almost pretty much all presidents since FDR, believed that markets were not er inherently rational, that markets did not move towards the best thing for society. They needed government help. So take the airlines or take trucking. That these presidents felt that if you if you left those companies to their own devices, they would not serve customers in the right way. The prices wouldn't be right. So they needed to be heavily regulated. The government had to say where planes could fly, where trucks could go, how many could go, what the prices they could charge would be. Uh, Ronald Reagan famously disagreed. He deregulated the airline industry and the trucking industry. And, and pretty soon, we're flying more than ever. It's cheaper than ever. We go to more places than ever. Um, i believe it's safer than ever although i know for sure it is not more comfortable
1: and enjoyable than ever <laughs> there's less legroom than ever there's <laughs> less legroom
0: than ever but all right yeah. and, and trucking similarly you know we ship goods much more cheaply we have you know fedex ups all of that stuff
1: right so these are the success stories of the efficient market hypothesis we deregulated these industries basically it's gotten cheaper and and more efficient same with phone companies for example these were also deregulated in the mid 80s yeah. that also brought about lower prices a lot more phoning options, the cell phone revolution. It's hard to say that that could have happened if we hadn't deregulated the phone company. So the idea through all these decades and presidents, starting with President Reagan and continuing through both uh, President's Bush's, President Clinton, and even the guy right now, President Obama, they generally believe it's better to let the market find the price and get government out of the equation. The market price is better, is more rational. Of course, if you look at, say, the market price of
0: housing or of tech stocks over the last decade, it's it's pretty hard to argue that they have always and forever been the rational, efficient price reflecting all known information at the time. I mean, basically, Planet Money owes its existence to the fact that that may not be true. We have studied a lot of the irrationalities that we've noticed. So um, we asked Justin Fox, does the collapse of the tech stock bubble at the early part of the uh, decade, the much more recent and more dramatic collapse of the housing bubble. Will this permanently silence those who've been advocating the rational markets theory?
2: It will put them into hibernation. I feel like. I mean, except that they do have useful things to say about matters other than housing bubbles. And I mean, there there, there are two counterattacks I've heard. One is that okay, there was a bubble, but if you look at the actions of individuals, they were mostly rational, at least over the short run. And that's fine with me. My issue isn't whether individuals are being rational or not. It's whether market prices are these reliable gauges of the worth of things. And it's pretty clear that the market prices for houses a couple of years ago were not a very good gauge of the worth of those houses. So, so that's one argument is that individual behavior is rational, but market's not. Okay, I buy that. The other one is you'll hear all the people saying, well, if only government hadn't been so involved. And, I, I mean, clearly there were – you know the, the whole Washington push towards homeownership was a factor in what happened to mortgage markets.
0: And maybe more crucially, Greenspan lowering interest rates and keeping them low for an extended period of time.
2: But at the same time, you had these bubbles and crashes – as as long as there have been financial markets, but before there were central banks or significant financial regulation, or even significant government role in the economy of any kind. And so it seems like there's something, I mean, first of all, are markets really that fragile that they can't? see that, OK, Fannie and Freddie, this distortion, let's price around that distortion. You'd think if markets were perfectly rational, they could handle that. So I, I, I find that, I mean, John Taylor has this whole argument that, you know, none of this bad stuff wouldn't have happened if, if Hank Paulson hadn't scared everybody in, in mid-September. And I, I just, nobody, you, you talk to any actual market participants and none of them buy that at all. Um, and that doesn't mean they're right, but I, I find that a pretty weak argument.
1: How much of it do you think is that the efficient market theory had so, was so pervasive that it actually reinforced itself? In other words, somebody who without the efficient market theory would have said, this looks like a bubble price, could now say to themselves, well, it can't be a bubble price because of the efficient markets. And so they continued in this. They, they actually, it actually helped fuel the bubble.
2: I think in housing market, you can totally see that in papers that would be published by the Fed and and written by other academic economists. Because you basically had Bob Schiller out there, and he's this very major figure in my book who sort of started his assault on the rational efficient market theory in the late 70s, or early 80s, and has continued with it ever since. Um, you had Schiller saying – you know, this doesn't prove anything, but I put together this chart of real estate prices going back to 1880 or whatever, and we've never had a rise like we've had over the past 10 years. And also, over the long run, there have been long periods where inflation-adjusted real estate prices dropped for decades on end. So something bad's probably going to happen. I can't tell you when, but it's probably going to happen. So then you read all these papers by more conventional academics, and it was always, you know, Just saying that prices have gone up a lot doesn't prove anything. Markets do what they do for a reason. Let's explore why house prices have risen so much. And they would always be able to find explanations for why. Uh, But there was, and I really do think the the whole idea of the efficient market and the rational market was a big factor in that, that it just made people afraid to say – you know, the emperor, the, the housing emperor has no clothes. So this
1: widespread belief in efficient markets actually made them less efficient.
2: Yeah. And that, I mean, the other with with Alan Greenspan, and in, in Greenspan was this way too, where he sort of saw every ind, every indication that something was going crazy. And he'd give these speeches or do these papers and always sort of come around in the end. But, you know, we have these great markets for sharing and distributing risk. I think it'll all work out in the end.
0: So we here at Planet Money, we're we're not taking sides in the rational market versus non-rational market debate. But I think we do celebrate the idea that that whatever core assumptions underlay economic thinking from all sorts of
1: perspectives should now, after this crisis, maybe take a a new look at them. Right. And I I would like to propose a hypothesis that could maybe replace the efficient market hypothesis. I call it the Alex Bloomberg hypothesis. And it's just I I determine the price for everything. That is totally irrational. (laughs) No, check it out. Listen, helicopters, $5. Pleated pants, $1,500. Puppies, free. You're an idiot. (laughs) It's just a theory.
0: All right. That is it for today. Thank goodness. It is also the last time we get to remind you to vote in the great Planet Money Top Chef Iron Runway Project Model Challenge.
1: Who are you voting for, Adam? Oh, man, I'm losing. You know that. (laughs) I didn't want to say anything. Yes, you did. (laughs) Anyway, you can check it all out at npr.org slash money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.